What I've got to share with you today, I believe is a word in season. It's press on, press in, and press through. What I'm gonna share with you is a word of our responsibility towards the Lord to hold on to the word that he has given us. That in this journey with God, which isn't a sprint, it's a marathon, that we would start strong, live strong, and finish strong. That throughout the course of our lives, there would be a consistency of holding on to him and his ways. Now, for any journey that we partake in or commence with, we need direction. And for most explorers in the wilderness, they would need a compass. And surely this life that we live is a journey needing direction. And one of the greatest tools the Lord has given us is his word. And then, of course, his precious Holy Spirit in conjunction with his word. But there's so many scriptures about the word of God and how incredibly powerful it is on our behalf. And I'd just like to read a few scriptures to you. You're welcome to just listen, um, where I just affirm out of the scriptures itself the power of the word that he has given to us. The first is Matthew 24, verse 35, where Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Isaiah 55, verse 11 says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, For all the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So God has given us his word, but we too have a responsibility to hold on to that word. There is a point where faith must become works. And where faith becomes works is where we choose to hold on to the promises of God. Because his promises are unfailing, they're unbreakable. But unfortunately, there can be a situation where we do not enter into the promises because we haven't held on to those, those promises as they were given. And the truth of this can be found in Galatians 6 verse 9, which says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap the reward if we do not give up. And that poses a very difficult question to us, that at times we don't enter into the promises of God, or not when we should, because unfortunately we have withdrawn from our determination to hold on to the word that he has given us. And I'd like to give you a couple of scriptural examples out of the Old Testament where this took place. The first concerns the half-tribe of Manasseh. Every tribe in Israel had been given a portion of the promised land as they went in to conquer the promised land. And the portion that was given to the half-tribe of Manasseh was sure and secure by the revelation of the Lord. It was confirmed, this is the portion of the territory that is yours. Yet, there were some Canaanite tribes living in that portion of the country. And this is what happened as we read in Joshua 17, verse 11. It says here, Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, the Canaanite inhabitants. But the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. So the Canaanites themselves had a determination to stay in the land. The Israelites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, had a determination to take the land. However, even though they had the promises 
It was the Canaanites who prevailed. Their determination in themselves was greater than God's own people to hold on to his word. And please understand, I'm not talking about soulish power. There's nothing in my message that is going to say, you have the power in yourself. We are who we are by the grace of God. It is through him that we are strong. But we have a personal responsibility to hold on to his word. That is the portion of our responsibility that we bring to the table. That is what we are expected to do before him. Now, initially, these Canaanites weren't a military threat to the Israelites. They were actually put uh, under, under, under the yoke, so to speak, and, and were used as slave labor. But from that time, they then began to intermarry with the Israelites, and the nation rotted from the inside. And exactly what God had said came to pass, that if they intermarried with the, the people of the land, they'd be drawn away from the Lord. Now, another very specific scriptural reference is found in 2 Kings, verse three, uh, 2 Kings chapter 3, sorry, where there were three kings on their way to attack the nation of Moab, who was desperately wicked. And the three kings was the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, was the king of Israel, Jehoram, and the king of Edom. And they were on their way to attack the Moabites. And they were going by way of the wilderness and had no water. And in desperation, they sought the Lord. And the Lord not only provided water for them, but he prophesied this through the prophet Elisha. So we're talking about a genuine, bona fide prophet of the Lord. It says here in verse 18 of 2 Kings 3, And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hands. Wonderful. There's the fullness of the promise. You've got a sure, secure word from the Lord. Now let's see how the battle proceeded. Picking it up from verse 26 to 27. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son who would have reigned in his place and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel. So Israel departed from him and returned to their own land. That is an incredible scripture. It says that the king of Moab was so desperate that he took this desperate measure and offered his only son, a disgusting practice, but that there was this determination by Israel's enemies coming against them from that point, and Israel didn't get the fullness of the battle, even though they had the promise of the Lord. They had his word. And so we see here that there is a personal responsibility that we've got to hold on to his word and to carry on holding on to his word. That is what it means to press on with determination. Now this battle is fought in our souls. Human beings are body, soul, and spirit. And our souls also can have three parts given to it if I'm to simplify it, which is our mind, our thoughts, our will, which is our choices, and our emotions, our feelings, all are good, all are God-given, all are God-created. However, there is an expectation from the Lord upon us that our emotions would not be the rudder or the compass of our life, and that what we think wouldn't be the final word over what we do, but what we choose in line with His Word with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. That is meant to be the direction by which we live our life. And so 
I also want to give you, in my opinion, one of the greatest heroines of the faith, um, Sarah. An example, a practical example out of her life from the scriptures. You're welcome to turn so long to Genesis 18, and we're going to be reading from verses 10 to 14. As you take a moment to turn there, what I'm going to be sharing with you was a profound revelation to me. Even as I was waiting on the Lord, I'd never seen this contrast in the word before concerning Sarah's life. But let's pick it up now together, starting from verse 10. The Lord had come to visit Abraham en route to judging Sodom and Gomorrah. He had stopped by Abraham's house. This was where Abraham interceded, asking the Lord that he wouldn't judge Sodom if he could find 50 righteous men. And eventually he had interceded to the point where if 10 righteous men were found, the Lord would spare the city. But from verse 10, I will certainly, this is the Lord speaking, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After have I grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Surely I shall bear a child, since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. So what do we see in Sarah in this moment? She hears the word of the Lord. She's got years worth of disappointment behind her. She's in the region of 75 years old at this point. 20 years past hot flushes and whatever else. We're talking about a desperate situation. It's a complete contrast to her circumstances. Sarah was a real person living a real life. We've got the, the benefit of 2020 vision in the word. We know how the story ends. She, in that moment, didn't. All she had to assess this word of the Lord that came to her was her previous experience, her life experience to that point. And what rose up within her was thoughts and emotions. Emotions of, yeah, right, like really, at my age? Thoughts of, I don't know how this is possible. That was her initial reaction, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we're at. We can't help the initial thoughts and, and emotions that come up within us. But from that point, we have got our will and our choice, and that is where we invested in the Lord. Now, I want to speak to you a little bit more about Sarah. It sounds pretty dire here at this point in the story, but it only gets better. Hebrews 11 verse 11 says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the, excuse me, past the age, because she judged him faithful who promised. She chose to believe that he who promised was faithful. The will part of her soul assessed the emotions of the moment, assessed the thoughts, and said, I choose to count him faithful who promised. Now, she might have still had bad days of emotions and thoughts. This is the human condition. We are going to be continuously worked upon by the Holy Spirit until we pass from this life, which is why I said we press on with determination. We don't draw back from him, but we invest our choice in the right direction. So Sarah counted him faithful who had promised. 
Imagine being dropped into a desert with a comfort compass and all the provisions you need. And you are told, if you walk north, you will come out of this desert. Just walk north every day. But every day you wake up, the dunes look the same, the heat of the sun is the same, and you walk by that compass, but there's no landmark, physically speaking, that is encouraging you. Now, if you could have a satellite image, you'd see the progress you're making day by day. Imagine you had an, a, a smartphone with an app, and you look at it and you say, wow, I really see my progress. But the situation of life I'm telling you about very often doesn't have that smartphone with the app. You've just got the compass of the word and your faith in the God that you love. Don't let the heat or the sight of the desert discourage you today. Tomorrow you may break through. Have a determination to press on. That is my first point. Now I'd like to share with you about pressing in to know God. Not just to know about Him, but press in to know Him. The scripture I wish to share with you is out of Daniel 11 verse 32, the second portion. Daniel is prophesying about the end times, but a fantastic scripture jumps out at us where it says, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God, not know about him, not have heard about him, not who have even been saved, but now they're still living their own life, who know their God. Jesus at one time rebuked the Pharisees because they were seeking to find out about God purely from the Scriptures. It says here in John 5, verse 39 to 40, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. But you were not willing to come to me that you may have life. There is such a need for us to hold on to the word of the Lord, but we need to hold on to our first love relationship with God as the primary treasure of our life and let the word be that which feeds our relationship and not a relationship with the Bible itself. Yes, we have a compass to press on with determination, but he who will never leave us nor forsake us is our traveling companion. And it is great wisdom to get to know him personally. There was not much accessibility to God before Jesus' crucifixion. Even as I stand here today, this portion that I've just shared with you would not have been possible before Jesus died on our behalf. But when he perished, when he gave his life, when he laid down his life for us, at that very moment, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. I love that imagery, not from bottom to top. It was God taking it and ripping it. This barrier that was between him and his people was now forever torn, and it was completely torn. He didn't tear it halfway. He didn't do a half job. It was torn, utterly separated, that the way to God had been made open, that we'd have the freedom of access, not just to be saved, but to be saved into a family. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we are now children of God, not just servants who serve. We are children who serve. 1 John 3 verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God. Romans 8 verse 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. It is great folly to come to the Lord to give your life to him 
but then not to grow in your relationship with Him. It is even possible to operate in God's giftings and to not know Him personally. There is evidence of this in the Scriptures. I'm not just going to give that to you as my opinion. Let's listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 22 to 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will, declare, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now there are some in the church world who claim that the gifts were given to the apostles, and at the time of the apostles' passing, that was the end of the gifts, and they use this scripture as one of the evidences to say, you see, anyone who operates in giftings, Jesus says, depart from me, you practice lawlessness. That is not the truth. The truth is it's those who would practice a gift without knowing the giver, without loving the giver. This is also found in Revelations 2, verse 1 to 5. Bear with me as I read, and listen carefully, I pray you. To the angel of the church of Ephesus writes, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. If the Lord was to say that about any church today, I think they'd be like, wow, all right, we're doing okay here. Wow, thank you, Lord. Amen. However, Jesus goes on immediately to say, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. What an incredible rebuke. This is a church. What a glowing report they received. And then the Lord says, this is what you're doing, but you're doing it without your first love. Go back and do those first works again, but do them with me. That is great wisdom. Paul prayed a prayer in Philippians 3, verse 10 to 11, a scripture, but his declaration comes across as a prayer. He says this, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Wow, at that point, we're like, yes, yes, amen. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know your power. I want to see the giftings. I want, to, I want to see miracles happen. But then he goes on to say this, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And I believe part of what Paul is saying here is, I want to know you, Lord, but I want to know all of you. I'm not going to tell you what parts of you and this relationship with you I'm going to accept that are acceptable to my flesh. I accept all of you the way you wish to present yourself to me. And there may be times of blessing and, and, and overflow, but there may be times of persecution and suffering and trial. But Lord, I want to know all of you. There is a picture given of the Passover lamb in the uh, book of Exodus where the Lord gives the first Passover to Moses. And we see a beautiful picture. It's harsh, but we see a beautiful picture of the extent of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Reading from verse 10 to 11 out of Exodus chapter 12. 
You shall let none of it remain, the Passover lamb, until morning. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. They partook, they ate their full, whatever family was eating. If there was a family too poor to have a lamb, they were invited to join a family that had a lamb. No one was left out, not one. Yet, whatever they didn't consume in terms of the meat, whatever was left of the lamb was then put in the fire to be utterly consumed by the fire, that nothing would remain by morning. So my question to you is if that is a picture of Jesus' crucifixion, there was nothing that he didn't sacrifice on our behalf. He was utterly consumed by the sacrifice he made for us. Can we do no less in terms of accepting him for all that he is? In both the good seasons and the tough ones, that we do not waver in holding on, counting him who is faithful, who promised. Even if our emotions and our thoughts are going through a trial, we can choose to hold fast to the word and the God who gave that word. Amen. Amen. We are as close to God as we choose to be. I want that to rest upon you. If you feel you are far from the Lord, draw near to him. The word is he will draw near to you. There is a corresponding responsibility where it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I'm sorry to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen. That was written to Christians. And there are times where we need to assess where we're at, confess, repent if necessary, and then stand up and continue to walk on with him. It is a price worth paying. Thank you. All right, so that brings us to the end of my second point, which is press in to know God. Now, I want to share with you my third point, press through persecutions and pleasures. There are two main avenues by which the enemy comes against us, through excess pleasures or excessive persecutions. And both of these can come at any stage in our life. There's just as much temptation in a good season as there is in a bad season. And the enemy knows how to push our buttons. The truth is that we don't always know what is inside of ourselves. I'll give you an example. Out of the scriptures, if we look at the life of Peter, I love Peter, he was outgoing. There's a word saying gregarious, really outgoing. And on the night that Jesus was crucified, when they tried to take him, initially he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Jesus healed that, but we see the zeal. And even before then, at the last supper, he says to Jesus, I will die with you. And the Lord spoke and said, you will deny me three times before the, 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 the rooster crows twice. And, and Peter didn't believe him. However, it happened exactly like that. And it says that Peter went out and wept bitterly after the fullness of the realization of what he had done came upon him. But I guarantee in the moment he was saying to Jesus, I will die for you. In the moment where he cut off that servant's ear in his zeal, he was, he was adamant, I'm going to follow through on what I said. Yet, a couple of hours later, a serving girl caused him to be filled with so much fear that he denied the Lord. We do not know what is within us. It requires us to rely on the Lord day by day by day. And there is a fantastic scripture found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 
verse 12 to 13, which says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And here we already see an immense encouragement from the Lord. We don't know what is within us. Temptation will come, but the guarantee of God's grace being available to us, has been given to us by him through his word. We at times still wrestle with temptation. And there's another pertinent scripture that speaks on this subject. And it's found in James chapter 1 verse 13 to 15. And I want you to look at what I just read to you out of 1 Corinthians. That God gives us grace to bear it. That temptation is inevitable. But here in James, it speaks about the process of temptation, how it actually works against us. It says here, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Settle that now. If temptation comes, it's not God. He doesn't send temptation, and he doesn't condone temptation. Temptation is not of God. Please settle that once and for all and forever. But each one of us is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That sounds like a heavy scripture, but I find it incredibly encouraging. And let me share with you why. When temptation comes, it works upon one's own desires, but that is not sin. We cannot help temptation comes, and to be honest, we, just like Peter, we don't always know what's within us. At times, we are tempted, and we are led astray by our own desires, but even then, that is not sin. Sin takes place when desire has conceived. In other words... You feel something come up in your thoughts. You feel something come up in your emotions. You presented with a choice. This looks good. Take it. Do this. It's going to feel great. It's wrong, but just do it. Then that choice is presented to you, and you make your choice out of your will. And you say, no, I will not follow that temptation in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you would give me the grace to stand and stand strong because I stand in your strength. But I resist this temptation. I will have nothing to do with it. Don't fear the temptation. Let it be an indicator of what needs to change in your heart. Make it a point of prayer. It's not as if those hidden parts of you were hidden from God anyway. I guarantee what Jesus saw in Peter that night was that he would betray him. Peter didn't see it in that moment. And so, in the midst of the pressure of the situation, Peter gave into it. But it became a point of which he could take it to the Lord. And we took our own temptations to the Lord to say, Lord, I was tempted there. I admit it. And I pray that you will change me in the secret place of my heart. That that kind of situation will never happen again. We see this with Gideon. Gideon, when he got the call of God upon his life, he, well, 
one of the first things the Lord said to him was, break down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Ashtoreth pole and build an altar to me and sacrifice on that altar. And that's exactly what I, he did. So in the exact place where there was an idolatrous altar, he broke that down and he built an altar to the Lord. And we do the same. When temptation comes, recognize it. Don't give in to it. But then take that to the Lord and say, Lord, change me in that place that I'd be strong in the future because you have changed me. David got this revelation after his incident with Bathsheba, or as I sometimes refer to her, Bathsheba. She was on the roof, as we know, and he was on the roof. At the times, the kings were meant to be at war. He was where he shouldn't have been. He saw her bathing. That was the temptation. Let me tell you where the sun came in. He sent his men to go and fetch her to him. He could have turned around, strapped on his sword, and taken himself off to war. Probably would have done him a heck of a lot of good in that situation as well. But he didn't. But he goes on to write the most incredible psalm, Psalm 51, after this incident with Bathsheba. One of the premier psalms of repentance you will find, or any scripture of repentance you will find in the Word. And I'd like to read to you from Psalm 51, verse 6 to 7. It says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, the secret place of your heart. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Here we see David saying, Lord, I recognize that there are secret places of my life that I don't even know are there. And they rise up in the moment of temptation. In that secret place, change me. We don't know what the future holds, but he who holds the future knows us. And he is the one who will help us to remain pure and holy before him. If there is active sin in your life, today is the day where I call you to repent. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not, a, not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there's active sin in your life today, go build an altar to the Lord where the former altar now stands, or the soon-to-be former altar now stands. But pray for grace. God gives grace to the humble. Beware lest while you think you stand, you fall. It is only in His strength that we will overcome. And so to conclude, press on with determination. And in fact, I would like to read a scripture to you. This comes out of Hebrews verse 1 to 3 and then 12 to 13. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Press through your persecutions and pleasures. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Press on with determination. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, press in to know your God who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, we are his joy. Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Thank you, everyone.
Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And may this word rest upon you. May it be planted in your hearts. May it bear fruit both in this life and into eternity. May you not just start strong. May you not just live strong. But may you finish strong. I bless you all in Jesus' name. Amen.